Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Places this morning. And uh, uh, I'm going to read our text out of the King James or the New King James Version. Uh, I'm going to read two passages of scripture. Uh, but some of the scriptures that I'm quoting this morning, I'm going to quote out of the New Living Translation because I want to show you a pattern in scripture this morning that is there. But if you'll turn to the book of Romans chapter 10, the book of Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read a passage of scripture there. And, uh, uh, well, I'll just wait till after I read the scripture. And uh, very heavy this morning, the word that I have for you. And I always get nervous when I have words like this because I know that, that if I, it's important that they're communicated right. So you pray for me this morning. I'm able to communicate to you what the Lord has laid on my heart because I feel like it's a very powerful word. I feel like it's a challenge. Again, we're preaching to an army this morning. We're not preaching to a crowd. We're preaching to the remnant this morning. And so in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, very familiar scripture to many of you. And then we're going to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to read verses 9 and 10 there. But to start this morning in uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How many know that's a powerful scripture? How many of you got saved under that scripture? Amen. Praise God. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to read verses 9 and 10 to you. In verse 9 it says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry, or sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For the godly sorrow produces repentance. Y'all hear that? Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to what? Salvation. Not to re- not be regretted, but the sorrow of the world does what? Produces death. It's a great passage of scripture this morning. I've been in a prayer series uh, called Prayer, the Element of Change. And uh, actually, I told you Thursday that that was going to be my last message in that series. Well, I didn't tell you the truth. Today's the last message in that series. And, uh, and, and Thursday I preached on uh, prayer and politics. And so if you hadn't had a chance to watch that, if you're getting ready to vote, I want you to watch that before you vote. And, uh, but it was on prayer. But I've been in this series on uh, uh, prayer, the element of change. And uh, we've been talking about that. Today I want to talk about one of the most important of all of the messages that I've preached on prayer on Thursdays and on Sundays the last few weeks. Uh, This morning, I want to minister on the prayer of repentance. There's nothing more that is more important to the believer this morning than the prayer of repentance in our life. How many know the prayer of repentance is not just something that happens one time in our life? We just don't say Romans 10, 9, and 10, and then we leave it there. How many know the prayer of repentance is a part of our Christian life? Y'all with me this morning? It's part of our Christian life. It becomes the aspect of our Christian life. Matter of fact, a couple years ago, we did a Bible study uh, where I took the young adults to the 
to, through a teaching by John, John Brevere called Killing Kryptonite. If you've not read the book, it's a great book. I love the analogy that he uses when he talks about kryptonite, what kryptonite was to Superman, so sin is to the believer. That kryptonite weakened Superman. And just as kryptonite weakened Superman, so does sin weaken the believer. It was a great analogy. And of course, we're not supermen, but we are Christians. And there's a lot of uh, uh, similarities between Superman and us. We're not, we don't all, we all wear an S on our chest. But the truth is, we are from another world. Amen? How many know this world is not our home? And we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are, we are those who liberate the oppressed. And uh, Superman was strengthened by the Son, S-U-N. And how many know we are strengthened by the Son, S-O-N? And so, but he had a weakness, and that weakness was kryptonite. And that kryptonite uh, weakened him and neutralized every bit of power that Superman would have. And there's nothing more that weakens the Christian than the presence of sin in the Christian's life. It's the kryptonite to our walk with God. It is what holds us back from the place of God's best for our lives. It's interesting when we begin to think about this. And uh, recently in my devotions, I've been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I thought as I've read through the book of 1 Corinthians and studied it in my devotion life and studied uh, how the church, how the church uh, began to see what caused the church at Corinth to have such a struggle. What was it that made that church struggle so much? Much of what we are seeing or what we see in the Corinthian church, we see a lot of that in the body of Christ today. In the American church, we see a lot of that in this area. I'll tell you that, that as you have navigated through this very difficult time in our nation, but what's happened is, is I, I'm more afraid that what's happened in our nation the last few months uh, is, is the bottom result is it's not going to change the church. I'm afraid the church is going to come out of it exactly the same. Because it's moments like this that God uses the church to have incredible impact in our world. It's in seasons like this the church should rise up. And this should be seasons. And it's a, it's a question that we should ask ourselves. Will this season allow the church to remain the same? Or will we rise up and be like the early church that had great impact on everywhere and everyone they came in contact with? I thought to myself, I began to, to think about the early church and compare the early church with the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, of course, started some 20 to 25 years after the early church was born on the day of Pentecost, in that moment. And 20 years later, we have the Corinthian church that shows up. But the early church, they had, impact, they had impacted whole cities. The Bible tells us that they impacted Lydia and Sharon and Joppa and Caesarea. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us that all of the Asia region heard the word of God in less than two years. Thessalonica, Greece, these, these, uh, when they entered into there, when the early church went in to Thessalonica, they said, these are those who have turned the world upside down. 
So everywhere they went, they had great impact on those whom they came in contact contact with. They had consistently convinced people. Listen, they had to consistently convince people that they weren't gods and superheroes. That's what they did. Many cities they went into thought they were gods, wanted to build monuments to them and erect monuments. They had to convince people that they were not gods. Why? Because the power of God that flowed through their life had incredible impact in all that they did. They'd walk the streets and people would be touched by the shadow of Peter and be touched and healed and changed just by their presence. They would walk and, and, and their ability to handle persecution and intimidation was, 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 was incredible. And what happened was what flowed out of it was incredible integrity, incredible character, and an anointing and a power that everywhere they went, demons would flee, they would change cities and people just by their presence of being there. That's pretty powerful, folks. Matter of fact, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church in 53 AD, around 53 AD, some 20 years later after the church was born. And Paul, history shows that, that the early church, 20 years later, what was going on in this church, this letter reveals what Paul was writing and saying to this early church. Just 20 years later, he was having to deal with a church that had sexual immorality. They were suing one another. There was division and strife. They had favorite preachers. Paul reprimanded them for their failure to to disciple. And they had marital issues. And the hard question is, are we more like the early church? Or are we more like the Corinthian church this morning? And that's the question. And so the church in America has many similarities, I believe, to the church in Corinth. Now, this is not a negative message. I'm not trying to dump on you this morning. But what I do want to do is wake you up this morning and say we have a season right now, a open window to touch the world if we will will yield to what the Spirit of the Lord wants us to do in this hour. I'm not talking about church. Hear me. I'm not talking about church. The days of just church are over. The church can no longer function like it has before. Now is the time to begin to rally saints who want to invade a world that needs Christ. (laughs) Pick up your sword. Put on your armor. Fall in line and get ready to stand and to do battle where God wants you to do battle. Okay, hang with me this morning. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, as he is dealing with the Corinthians, he said this, for this reason many of you are weak. And what's he talking about now? The context here is communion and the Lord's Supper and them coming together. The context is, is that Paul was saying, hey, you are, you, are, you are just taking this for granted. You have no idea. Many of you are not even examining yourself as you come before the Lord's table. And many of you are not asking the Lord, coming to the Lord, 
seeking the Lord about your life. And he said, for this reason, for this reason, many of you are weak and sick among you. And many even sleep. In other words, he's saying premature death has happened to some of you because you have failed to examine yourself before a holy God and bring your sins to an altar and bring them to the place to where God produces a repentance in your life that is not just a one-time thing where you get saved and everything's done. It's a lifestyle of examining ourselves before God to make sure that like the Corinthian church, we don't have issues in our life that kryptonite that keeps us from what God wants in our life. Hang with me. And so he's like, many of you are weak. Many of you are sick. It's because you refuse to live the lifestyle of examining yourself before God. That's a powerful word. Now, that's not a word that's going to make you shout. You're not going to go out here with a dance in your step. But I will say this. I love what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11. and Daniel 9, 10, 11, and 12, Daniel is having visions of the last days. And Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 12. He tells us Daniel had a vision of the last days. And he said this in verse 32. He said, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. In other words, Daniel looks down through the portals of time. God gives him a vision of the church of the last days. The church of the last days, the moment before the return of Christ. He gets a vision of the church. And the vision that he says, he says that there are people who know their God shall be strong. Those who know their God shall be strong. And they shall do exploits for the Lord. Now, I'm seeing a contrast here in weak and that which is weak, and that which is strong. The word strong there in the Hebrew is an interesting word because it means this. It means courageous, established by force. It means one who prevails. It means resolute. But I love what it means, what what the root word means. It means this. It means strong in mind and recover and undaunted. In other words, strong in mind. The ability to recover. Part of strength is that when the devil gives you a shot, you're strong enough to bounce back, right? Because you know your God. You know who God is. You know your God this morning. How many are thankful you can be strong by knowing God this morning? You can be strong by relationship with God this morning. The key to strength is that they know their God. The key to the strength that Daniel sees is that they are people who do exploits because they know their God. They know their God. The word know is is a great Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word yada, and it's a word of intimacy. It's a word that says to know intimately. The Old Testament meaning is is, is the representative that God knows our heart, and we know him by experience. That's what the word yada means. It means to know through intimacy. It's the same word God used when he described Adam knew Eve, when he described their intimacy, when he described them coming together as husband and wife, coming together, and I don't need to say anything else. You all know what I'm talking about. And it's yada. In other words, it describes 
It describes intimacy. It describes a, 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 the analogy God is using is the marriage analogy. The intimacy that a husband and wife have. This word yada means those who know their God, who have intimacy with God, who have a, not just an intimacy, but should I be coy and just say that it means intimacy with God. It means intercourse with God. Strong relationship is how that means. It means, it means defined and it illustrates the relationship. Matter of fact, God used this illustration in Isaiah 54, 5. He said this, your creator will be your husband. It's a powerful scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us the analogy. It tells us this, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave and shall and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one. The New Living Translation says it like this, but this is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It goes on to say that this is a great mystery concerning Christ and the church. Do you see the analogy of intimacy that is here? Do you see the, the call that is being called here that, that those who do exploits for God are those who know him, who are intimate with him? How many are thankful that out of your relationship with God, your intimacy with God, you grow spiritually, you grow, you, you hear his voice more, his word means more, it comes alive to you, your prayer life is, comes alive out of the intimacy of God. Now, I'm going to show you a video. <laughs> I hesitate to show this video because this, this video is going to be challenging to some of you. It's just going to challenge you. But I want you to know that I'm using this as an illustration this morning. And I want you to see this. It's a powerful illustration. And it's going to lead to what I want to share with you and what I want to lead into and finish with about intimacy with God. Guys, go ahead and play that video. That castle. It's about four minutes long. Castle. So they Heard taught you how to fold the napkins. Yes. Oh, wow. I actually, believe it or not, I know how to sew, fold the uh, Sydney Opera House. I don't believe you. No, no, I really do. I, I, I can totally show you. Stop. I'm very excited. Good evening. Oh, good evening. Have you um, dined, dined with us before? Yes. Actually, this is our favorite restaurant. Welcome back. No, babe, I'm pretty sure we've never been here before. No. That's weird. Really? Yeah, no, no, we haven't. Hmm. Oh, hold that thought just one second. I'm really, really sorry. Oh, no problem. Yeah. So what would you like to order this? Oh, uh, yes, sir. So you know what? I think I would like to have that salmon. That, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. Oh, great. Yeah, I like that. And for you, ma'am? Oh, um, I will have the filet mignon and the New York strip and the eight ounce sirloin. All medium rare, please. Yes, fantastic. That is a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. I will get those right out to you. Babe, that's, that's kind of a lot of food, isn't it? I'm not just ordering for one, you know. Wait, are you? Are you telling me that we're... Are we expecting? Yeah, he'll be here soon. It's a boy? Oh, my... Yeah, Oh, my gosh, course. babe. Okay, this has got to be... There he is the... now. Wait, Hi. What? Oh, bonjour. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> I ordered for you. Oh, thank you. You know me so well. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry. Do you, do, do you two know each other? Do you yeah, guys... he is my boyfriend from high school. Your, your boyfriend from, from high school? Babe, can I ask you what your old boyfriend's doing? <laughs> uh, did I come at a bad time? 
No! I really don't see the problem here, Justin. Yeah, I really don't see the problem here. Okay, who are you? Honey, stop, you're embarrassing me. I just wanted us to have one nice night at our favorite restaurant. Okay, first of all, I've never been to this restaurant. And, and second, what is going on? Hey, babe, sorry I'm late. Did I miss anything? Okay, seriously? Hey, you, all right, you, you take your hand off her and you, what is going on? Just sit down, <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. <laughs> Angela, is this, is this some kind of joke? Are you, are you actually seeing these guys? Justin, I've known these guys longer than I've known you. Wait, what? Are you seriously jealous right now? Jealous? Angela, in case you forgot, we're married. Okay, and we spend the majority of our time together. I, I love you more than any of my other boyfriends. That's why you'll always be my favorite. <laughs> your, your favorite? Is, is there anyone else I need to know about? Babe, is there a problem over here? Okay, really, the waiter? No, Dennis, we're fine. All right, seriously, no. Good, food will be right now. Uh, okay, you, Angela, Angela, all right. These guys need to go, and we need to talk. We're done. I cannot believe this. You are being so selfish. Why do you always have to make everything about you? You ruined our favorite restaurant. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah. I've still never been to this restaurant. Thank you, thank you, Dennis. The salmon is delightful. So, did you propose to her here too? Okay. Now, you and I know how hilarious and almost ridiculous that video is. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, to think about that for a moment. But he's, he made this question. He said, but we're married. And she said, she said, but, but babe, she said, I love you more than all the other friends, all my other boyfriends. These guys, these guys, he said, why are you, she said, why are you being so selfish? You make it all about you all the time. Now, that is the most ridiculous video you would ever see about marriage. But I'm not sure that that's not too far how we treat our relationship with God. In other words, in Angela's defense, in other words, uh, uh, she she does spend the majority of her time with him. She loves him more than the others. And he is her favorite. So what's the problem? In other words, would you be married to someone like that? Would you be engaged to someone like that? So what makes us think that Jesus is coming back for a bride that's the same way? What Paul is dealing with and what Paul is dealing with in Corinth is Paul is dealing with, he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, many of you have, been, have, given, have, been, have not given up your old sins, is what he has said. 
He said, you've not given up your old sins. And many of us, we want to love God. He's our favorite. We spend time with him. But the thing is, we allow other lovers to be in our lives, and he is not exclusive. And when we think that God demands all of us, we think God is being selfish. Are you with me this morning? In other words, in other words, it says this in 2 Corinthians 12, it said not given to old sins of impurity or sexual immorality, eager for worldly pleasure. In other words, Paul is saying this, this is why the church is weak. This is why the Corinthian church was weak, is that they were given their pleasures to other things other than God. They were given pleasure to everything else. It's what James had to deal with in the book of James, chapter 4, when he, when he was talking to believers. Fifteen times in the book of James, he calls them brethren. But then he goes on in chapter 4, and in, and in verse 3, he goes on to say, he says to them, you adulterous and adulterous and, and adulterous people, he said, friendship with the world is enmity against God. In other words, what he's saying is, is that you have divided loyalties toward God. And the reason why I believe we're not strong this morning is because our loyalties have been divided. We put our loyalties in many places and our loyalties have been everywhere but to God. And I'm here to tell you that God is going to strengthen the church in these last days. But in order to be strengthened, we, 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 we've got to have yada with God. We've got to have intimacy with God. We've got to know God and let God work out all of the undivided, undivided loyalties that are in our life. But that which is to him. James and Paul are dealing with those who refuse to depart from their formal sins who refuse to depart from sins that they've hung on to. It's, it's just like the analogy of that video. It's just like the analogy that they've hung on to things of the past and not let them go. And what happens is, when there's not a life of repentance, what happens is our loyalties get divided, we stay committed to things that God has never intended for us to remain loyal to. It's interesting how the power of repentance is. Now, the word repentance in the Old Testament is an interesting word because when we think of repentance, we think of sackcloth and ashes and tear and crying as an Old Testament perception. But the New Testament uh, word, true repentance, is like this. It means change the inside, change on the inside the way that I believe. It changes the inside and in how I believe. True repentance. Here, here, here's how you separate. True repentance, the world says, I, I do what I choose is best for me. But a believer who has yielded to God says, I choose what God says that is best and right and true for my life. The word repentance in the New Testament is the Greek word metanoia. means the change of mind. But it's deeper than that. It goes deeper. It means a whole it means whole personality. It means mind, will, and emotions. How many know when you get saved, your soul is born again? There's the initial salvation of the soul. Really, the initial salvation is the salvation of the mind. The way we think, the change of our thinking is what it means. But 
Complete salvation comes when we begin to yield our will and our emotions to God. In other words, that's why the word repentance is mentioned 50 times in Scripture. Many of the words mean to preserve. It means to preserve. It means to keep. It means to cover. In other words, that salvation is not just pray a prayer of salvation. And that's all that you do. You have to learn how to submit your will and your emotions also to God. Not just your mind and your heart to believe that he is a savior. Now he comes in and now you have to yield your will, your behavior, the things you do, as well as your emotions to him. Are you with me this morning? In other words, it means repentance means change of mind, change of heart. That's salvation. But, but to change the will, you need lordship. You with me? He has to be lord of your life. There has to be lordship in your life. And when there's lordship, then there's freedom. When there's freedom, then there's loyalty to God. There's dedication and faithfulness to God. And what happens is many of our wills are not turned over to the Lord. We're saved, but we're not free. And so there has to be a freedom that comes through lordship. But not only that, our emotions, our affections have to change. How do we change our emotions? How do we change our emotions? We change our emotion through the process of sanctification. Through the process over time, God changes our will on the inside of us, which affects our emotions. Our emotions is where our affections go, what we believe in. It's where our honesty, our character, our love, it's where we judge right, where we choose right, and where we love right comes out of. Do you understand salvation is not just praying the Lord's Prayer and He saves our soul. That gets us into heaven. The blood of Jesus is sufficient enough. But how many know on this earth a lifestyle of repentance changes the will and the emotions of our life so that we can live free and so that we can live sanctified before God? How many understand what I'm saying this morning? How many know that the will of the will in your life can really keep a lot of things from God working in your life because our will is not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our will has to be. It, it's a deeper meaning. It's the whole personality. In other words, a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action uh, in our lives. Matthew 15, 19, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said this. He said, Jesus said, from the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and all sexual immorality. Whether that behavior is spontaneous or whether it's habitual. In other words, true repentance. Listen, true repentance turns from what I choose for my life to I choose what God says is best for my life. Are you with me this morning? Because what's happened in the church is... Well, I'll get there in a second. It's just like Adam. When Adam sinned in the garden, in the garden, the core was he was choosing his own course for his own life. And notice in the video, Angelo was just as shocked at Justin as Justin was shocked at Angela. She, she's the one that left the table. Now think about this for a minute. She couldn't believe he was jealous. She could not believe he was jealous. Listen, somewhere along the line, 
people in Angela's life never described to her what Mary's covenant was. She had a false sense of what Mary's covenant was. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that how many, how many of you ladies know that when you put all that white dress on, that white garment on, how many know by putting that dress on and walking down the aisle, you've made a decision to forsake all others? When you have been clothed in the righteousness of God, when Jesus has clothed you and washed you clean and white as snow, all others that have taken priority in your life has now have to be put aside because why? All your affections have to be on him who is your husband. Are you all with me? I don't know if I'm even making sense this morning. Listen, suppose people never told her. She entered a marriage covenant not believing she was to surrender all of her ex-loyalties. Let me, tell you, let, me, let me tell you the danger that has happened in the church. We have people come and pray a prayer. We ask them to receive Jesus. We ask them to, to listen, we ask them to believe in him. We ask them to, to, to pray a prayer, admit that he is Savior. But very rarely do we lead people into a place of repentance. Are you hearing me? In other words, we put salvation in being dunked in water. We put salvation in church membership. We put salvation in attending church. Listen, I'm preaching to a remnant this morning. I'm, preaching to the, to a, I'm not preaching to the crowd this morning. I'm preaching to some people who want to become mature in the Lord. We've got to stop deceiving people and believing that church going is saves them. Believing that because they get dunked in water, they're born again. No, they become born again when they turn from their sins and they receive Christ as their Savior and denounce all other loyalties that keep sin in their life. The reason the Corinthian church was not strengthened was they wanted Jesus, but they also wanted to keep their sinful habits. Listen, when Jesus washes you in the blood, he doesn't clean some of the house, he cleans all the house. And I'm telling you, our loyalties, our loyalties to Christ, a life of repentance has to be made up to him. I mean, this is something that, that, that you know, I've, I'm learning. You say, well, <laughs> in other words, we want Jesus, but we want to keep our adultery too. See, I can't have Jesus and, and party also. I can't have Jesus and have sex outside of sin, outside of marriage. I can't have Jesus and, and be addicted to porn. I can't have Jesus, okay, y'all with me? I can't have Jesus and have division and hate and strife in my heart. I can't have Jesus... Listen, I can't have Jesus and be for abortion. I can't have Jesus and be for same-sex marriage. Okay, I, mean, I got the right crowd this morning. I'm just checking because if I need security, I'm going to grab someone. But listen, 
What we're doing is we want Jesus and everything else too. Jesus does not yield to no one. He is preeminent in all of our lives. And if the church is going to be strong, it'll be those who know who their God is, yada, intimately. Come on, let's stop playing. Let's stop playing. Because the crowd won't go to the other side. He's looking for some disciples. He's looking for some people that are going to make repentance as a part of their lifestyle and a part of everything they do. All right, I'm almost done. Listen, I know y'all don't believe me because I'm going to show you right here. First thing John the Baptist says. What was the first thing he said? Repent. Did he not call men to the repentance, the baptism of repentance? Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. I want you to see this pattern. Do we, do we have that in the, uh, do we have that very, okay. I want, I want to give it to you in the New Living Translation because I want to show you this pattern. Look, put, put up Matthew 11 and verse 20. Look what it says. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles because they had what? Re- had not, re- hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Listen, stay with me. Because they hadn't repented and turned to God. Now, that's Jesus. John the Baptist is calling for repentance. Let's look at the disciples. Mark chapter 6 and verse 20. Let's look at this. Look what they say. Mark chapter 6 and verse 20. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good holy man, he protected him. Herod, well, that's, that's, not, that's not right. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm dyslexic. Anyway, so the disciples went out telling everyone they met to do what? Repent of their sins and what? Turn to God. Okay? If you don't believe them, let's turn to the man who was in hell. How about the rich man who was sent to hell? Listen, from hell, his fate has already been sealed. Let's look what he says in Mark Luke 16, verse 30. I want you to see this. 16, verse 30. Here we go. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they, then they will what? Repent of their sins and turn to God. You seeing it? Let's look what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. I'm showing you a pattern. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul, who had the revelation of grace, what did he say? Acts chapter 26. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse 19 through 20. Look what Paul says. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. Continue on. I preach first to those in Damascus and then to Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and all the Gentiles that all must what? Repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have, go to the next verse, changed by the good things that they do. What's that telling us? It tells us that we as believers must repent and turn to God. There must be a repentance that takes place. 
Acts 17, 30 tells us that God the Father gets in on it. He says, God has commanded everyone, every man, all men to repent and turn to God. What is that telling us? It's telling us this, that there is no true faith in Jesus without repentance. Now, I showed you all that to show you that without repentance, there's no true faith. There's no true faith. Dear God, help us this morning. Help us this morning. Help us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go there with me this morning. I want to read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, the word unrighteous there, that root word, it means this. Those who are unrighteous are those who practice sin. I'm not talking about folks who who are trying to to work through a struggle or or fighting to get free or those that are working. Listen, I'm talking about those who practice sin. That's what unrighteousness is. Those who practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Are you all with me? One translation says, don't be fools. Don't be fools. Don't be fools. And then it goes on to say, look, look what it says. It says, neither, neither fornicators, in other words, all those in sexual immorality, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, it said, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. Whew. It's a powerful word. Because the truth is, We cannot allow sin to remain in our lives. Here's the deceptive part of it. The deception is is that life can go on and be good, and we can be deceived by that, and we think that just because life is good, that our sin has no effect on the way we live. I'm telling you, preachers will stand behind the pulpit and be in the middle of adultery and people will still get saved. You know what that is? That's deceiving them to believe that their immorality, that they need not repent of it, they can hang on to that loyalty, to that immorality, when the truth is they are deceiving themselves. You say, well, prove that. I'll tell you, Judas was around when they were delivering. Judas carried the message of liberation, but Judas himself was not liberated. He lived under the deception that he could remain disloyal to God himself. And for some reason, because he engaged in what was spiritual, thinking that he was delivered from it all. Hang with me this morning. I want to close with this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want us to see this this morning as we close. I want you to notice something. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the scripture that I opened with this morning. Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Can I just say this? God wants... Our prayer this morning should be, God, I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. I want to walk as you choose me to walk as I can walk. That should be our prayer this morning. That should be our prayer this morning. And I want to tell you, we need a lifestyle of repentance. If the church is ever going to be impactful, we need to have lifestyle of repentance. We need to learn to yield our will and emotions over to him, not just salvation in Christ. That's provided for us when we become believers and repent of our sin. But I want to show you here in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, look what it says. It says this, it says, "Now, uh, now to the married I command, yet, that's not where I'm at, I'm in the wrong, hang on, 2 Corinthians. I'm in 1 Corinthians. Start in verse 9. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you may suffer loss, that you may not suffer loss from any of us. For the godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There are two, listen, there are two sorrows here. Both sorrows say that I've sinned. Both sorrows say that, I, that I've broke, that, that I've sorrowed. But listen, here's the difference. The difference is, is that the difference is, is just like it was with Saul and David. The Bible said, and Saul, when he was confronted by the prophet Samuel, what did Saul say? Look what he said. Look what he did. It said, Saul... Saul turned to him and said, "Uh, uh, I have sinned. He first tried to blame it on the people, but then Saul said, I have sinned, and this is what he says. He says, don't embarrass me or or don't make me or don't allow me, honor me in front of the people and the nation. In other words, Samuel, don't embarrass me. In other words, what was what was Saul's sorrow? Saul's sorrow was was his focus was on himself. It wasn't repentance. He was focused on how, on himself. Now look what David did. When David was confronted with this sin, the Bible said David, listen, David was a murderer, an adulterer, right? And what happened was, is that when he was confronted, David said, I have sinned. Not only have I sinned, but I have sinned against the Lord. We get Psalms 51 out of the sorrow of David. It was a godly sorrow under repentance. The difference is, is that some of us won't repent because we're afraid it may disqualify us. Some of us, because, because we're afraid of the judgment that will come under it. We're afraid of losing our marriage or sorrow. And the focus of the sorrow is on us. But I'm here to tell you, That true repentance is focused on the fact that you broke God's heart, that I broke God's heart. That it's focused on yada, relationship, intimacy with God. The fact that our heart, that that we broke God's heart, our sorrow leads to true repentance, that leads to our deliverance and leads us to uh, the preservation. The word salvation here is a preservation word. In other words, God preserves us through repentance. In our life. How many are thankful that repentance changes our lives? 
Pastor Adam, if you'll come, I'll close with this. A few years ago, everybody got upset when our nation, when our government passed same-sex laws. I don't know why everybody's upset. You know what I mean? I mean, it's what you expect from a lost world, right? It's what you expect from godliness, ungodliness. And we get all up in arms about that. And that's fine. We should be concerned about it. But I want to tell you what concerns me more than just the fact that they passed the same-sex law to be upset. I'll tell you what, what, what I can't figure out is that there are believers who supported it. I'm not so much concerned that the government made it a law as I am more concerned about there are believers who believe that that's right. I know I'm hard this morning, that mean preacher. I'm not mean. I'm not mean. I don't want you to be deceived. I believe the blood of Jesus. Listen, how is it that we can believe that the blood of Jesus only sets us free from the penalty of sin, but doesn't have the power to free us from the bondage of sin? How is it we believe the blood of Jesus saves us, but the blood of Jesus doesn't have the power to to to, to deliver us from the bondages that are in our lives. How do we get that place? How do we get to that place? Hallelujah. Stand with me if you would this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 20 and 21. Actually, put that up in the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. I want you to see this. It says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What's that passage saying? Listen, we say, I've had people in counseling that would be in the midst of sin, and they say, well, Pastor, God knows my heart. God, yeah, he does know your heart. But God doesn't only look at your heart, God looks at your fruit. And look what it says. Only those who actually do the will of the Father will enter into heaven. He, not only, he knows your heart, but what God is concerned about is what you do. That there's fruit in your life. Why do we, create, why do we continue to create doctrines so that people don't have to repent in church? We've spent a lifetime making people comfortable in church and not making them feel guilty to have for the practice of sin that is in their life. We've padded pews. We've toned down our messages. Preachers have prostituted the Word of God sitting right behind this pulpit. Why? Because they want people to be comfortable in the church house because, they don't want, because they're looking for the crowd. I'm not looking for the crowd this morning. I'm looking for the remnant that says, I want to be right before God. 
And what has happened is we've made people comfortable, but we forgot to disciple people. We forgot to tell people the truth of why repentance is important in their life. Listen, I'm not being hard this morning. I'm just telling you, if the church is going to move forward, we got to learn the power of repentance in our life. Not just one time, but a lifestyle of repentance. I'm telling you, 2020 has taught me that. I've been driven to my knees more in this year than I have in all my life. There's been things that have driven me to my knees, and a lot of it had to do with me. I had to let go of some things. I had to get some things before God. Why? Because I desire, I desire intimacy. I desire to be close. I desire to know Him. And to get close to Him, He's not going to let the practice of sin remain in my life. And the truth is, there are probably folks here this morning, the truth is you're not really born again. You think you are, but nobody's led you in prayers of repentance. And you have played church, and you have said a prayer, but you've not repented. Let me tell you what's wrong with this nation. We stop calling people to repentance. I'm thankful for what happened a few weeks ago at the return. It was a call to repentance. We've got to get back to calling people to repentance. We've got to get back to calling people back to purity and holiness and righteousness again. Come on, y'all. Listen. Back to purity, back to purity, back to righteousness. Some of you all are hanging on to some old lovers. You're just like Angela. You sit there and you're, you, you tell God, I give you my time. I give you, I give you my attention. You mean more to me than all the others, right? Don't we do that with sin? Oh, but God, I love you more than the rest of them. You give God your time. You spend more time with him but you're not willing to let go of the lovers and the loyalties that you've given your life to. And what's happened is you become weak. The Bible says you're weak and you're sickened and some of you have died prematurely. Woo! Come on. This world needs a pure church. This, church, this world needs a, a powerful church. This world needs people who are not going to be ashamed of the gospel. People who are going to walk right, live right, talk holy, be holy. I didn't say perfect. That's what repentance is for. That's what sanctification is for. I'm telling you, I've seen over the years how altars have dried up. The only time people want to come to the altar is if they're getting something from God. I'm going to get my financial blessing. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. I'm going to, how about coming to the altar because you realize in your life you need God and there's some things that he's got to take care of this morning. <laughs> well, this will be some of his last service. Jesus, help us. Jesus, Jesus, help us. I'm going to tell you, when I got saved, I spent three years, three years, Cluddy preaching, three years, I ran to the altar every week. You know why? Not because I didn't know any better. It's because I needed to. Had I not learned the power of repentance in my life, I don't believe God would have ever launched us in the ministry. You got to learn. You got to learn how to get along with God. You got to learn to deal with your anger and deal with your gossip and deal with with these things in your life. Deal with your immorality. Deal with... <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. What's that? Finish. Finish, preacher. Just finish. Just finish. I'm not going to finish. I'm not. 
Because we need a pure church, a holy church. A holy church. A holy church. Now I'm going to do this altar call in two ways. First of all, let me just say this to you. You know the Corinthian church were exploits in their gifts. But their gifts did not tell them about their character. They did all kinds of spiritual gifts. Isn't that amazing? They were, they were forefronted in their gifts. And tongues and prophecy, interpretation of tongues. They were in forefront. But let me tell you, gifts tells you nothing about the power in a church. Gifts don't tell you nothing about the... Listen, if all the church has is gifts, that doesn't tell you nothing. I have two altar calls this morning. The first one is for you who have not repented and given your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to come and give your life to Christ. It may be for the first time, or maybe you're just realizing this morning you never prayed a prayer of repentance and denounced the fact that Jesus is Lord of your life. Listen, this is a hard message for, this, for us this morning. And, and I'm, I meant it to, I, I know it is. I meant it to be. I'm not mad. I'm not mean. I'm not being mean. I'm not brimstone and fire. Listen, I want the blessing of God just like everybody else, but I want you in heaven. I want you in heaven. I don't want you to stand before God, and, and I don't want to stand before God having to have stood before God knowing that I deceived you about your salvation. You better get saved. You better get right with God. Some of you, listen, some of you living in my live stream, you, you're hiding. I'm telling you, the Lord's coming back. You're going to wake up one day and the church is going to be gone and it's just going to be you and a few others. Well, a whole lot of others. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Jesus is coming back. The rapture is getting ready to happen. The church is going to be called up. The resurrection is about to happen. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.